What's up? What's up? This is Zach Boschman checking in. You are locked into the Citizen Truth podcast. We're honored today to have Christian Sorensen on the podcast. The book is Understanding the War Industry. Really a great book if, if you're a part of the anti-war movement or, you know, are just an American who spends a lot of their tax dollars on uh, these crazy military war budgets. But anyway, Christian I believe you're like the third vet that we've had on the show. So before we get into the book, I want to ask you kind of a personal question. You know, what was it that initially drew you into the military? I'd say I probably, uh, as much as the next person, bought the, bought the propaganda. I remember thinking that uh, military service was the best way to, quote unquote, serve the country. I remember thinking that... Um, going into the recruiter's office. And um, yeah, I, I bought the propaganda pretty hard. I was a teacher at the time. And so, you know, looking back on it, I mean, now with, uh, with hindsight being 2020, I see, uh, you know, teaching is probably a pretty good way to, to you know, serve, but uh, it wasn't enough for the, the propaganda. So yeah, I ate it. Uh, I ate it up pretty hard. But, um, you know, as soon as you get in, you see that, uh, a lot of what you're told is uh, not the way it is on the inside. So that was a, a pretty quick wake up once you're on the inside. Yeah. So what, what did that political awakening look like uh, for you? Good question. So it was, it was a combination of things. It was seeing the way the military really functions in all its dysfunction and seeing, um, you know, regardless of unit. So, let me back up a little bit. What we as the public understand the military to be, it comes largely from corporate media. That is CBS, NBC, Fox, and the like, and Hollywood. So we don't have an accurate portrayal of what military life is like and what the military actually does. So when you, when you see it on the inside, you see it's, it's um, you know, fairly, it's like your neighbors, you know, they are good people. They're bad people. They are smart people. They're dumb people. They're motivated people. And there are slackers. It, it, and that was something that it really just struck me. So once sort of the veil, uh, you know, and the glow falls away, yeah, I started, uh, you know, doing my, doing my due diligence, doing my research and, you know, better late than never. And so I just read a lot while I was in. And so the combination of trying to educate myself while also seeing the nature of the beast from the inside, it, you know, it took a while. It took the, you know, the, you know, the four years that I was in and still, you know, I mean, I'm still not the brightest bulb in the shed, so I'm still studying and still trying to understand the way of the world. But um, yeah, that was, that was basically it. It was just like, you know, the two things, seeing it from the inside while at the same time trying to educate myself. Awesome. So if we get into the book here, uh, I want to talk about, you know, what is, the war industry, what functions of the war machine have been privatized and, and why have these functions been privatized? So we should get some, um, some terms clarified uh, before we dive into everything. So there's, there's broadly what's known as the military industrial congressional complex. That is uh, a triangle, three sides, one side is the military. It's represented by the Pentagon, which is the headquarters of the U.S. military. It's the, you know, the decision-making uh, headquarters of the entire broad military establishment. That's one side. 
Then the industry side is the war industry, the corporations that develop, market, and sell goods and services to the U.S. military and to U.S. intelligence and to allied uh, capitalist governments around the world. Then the third side is Congress, Capitol Hill. And Congress's job is to fund the whole thing, fund the racket, make sure that the, the money keeps flowing. So you, we, you get the, uh, you know, the situation where Congress funds military, military purchase from industry, industry corrupts Congress, Congress funds, and it just keeps going around and around. And I say that it's insulated, and we can get into this uh, down the road. It's insulated because you know, numerous studies have been done that show that we're, uh, you know, we're not exactly a democracy. If we were a democracy, then our vote would have sizable influence on matters of war and peace uh, at the federal level. And it really doesn't. It's, it's because there's, it's, a, it's a very insulated uh, arrangement. Uh, you know, it just goes around and around. So when you get to the, uh, the privatization or the corporatization of military functions, you know, back in the day, let's say, um, you know, World War II, the troops carried out most of the military activity. Beginning around the Vietnam War, that started to change slowly, slowly over the 60s, beginning of the 70s, there were corporations that gradually took over some of the jobs. This was very slow at first. It picked up in the 80s under Reagan. It really picked up uh, during the Clinton administration. And then it just, it took off after 9-11. I mean, there was just no holds bar. And the reason, of, the reason for this is because Washington, D.C. has so thoroughly embraced neoliberal economic policies. And neoliberal economic policies are basically decreasing government uh, regulation and monitoring of corporate activity, just handing over swaths of government jobs, government tasks to corporations, cutting government spending on uh, public welfare, that is healthcare, uh, education, infrastructure, uh, exporting jobs, putting, you know, putting jobs overseas and automating the rest. It's basically capitalism at its absolute worst. And so these policies uh, really pick up speed over time. And they, it gets worse and worse because once you give corporations more control and corporations capture more and more government, they're, they're, they have a better time, an easier time cultivating and pushing politicians who embrace more and more of these policies. So it just really picks up steam over time. And so now we have a, a U.S. military establishment that, you know, if you look at any given unit, and it depends on, you know, depends on the size of the unit, there's nothing, aside from your really basic ground infantry, there's nothing that's really off limits to the corporate realm. And even those infantry uh, units are very profitable to corporations because, they have to be kitted up, you know, I mean, bullets and uh, rifles and body armor, they're not the big ticket items, but over time, they, they cost a lot. The big ticket items are like infra um, information technology, uh, things like uh, BOSS, there's something called BOSS, Base Operations Support Services, which is, you know, back in the day, the troops would carry, it all the, carry out all the tasks on base. So you'd have, uh, you know, light repair, um, some maintenance, take out the trash, uh, plow the driveway if you're in, you know, a base in Alaska, 
some paving, that type of thing. Just the stuff that keeps the base up and running. That used to be carried out by the troops. And why not? You know, the troops, there's a lot of downtime when you're in the military. But the corporations pitched it to the politicians and to the higher ups in the Pentagon as, hey, you know, if you do it to us, you can have less troops. Less troops means, you know, less mouths to feed and less health care. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's um, you know, it's a better bang for your buck on your end. Well, obviously, it's, uh, it's never a better bang for the buck because corporations always charge more. They always try to get more and more profit out of doing any given task as is baked into the system. So, yeah, nothing's off limits. Um, ordnance disposal kidding up special operations forces. Intelligence is highly corporatized. Over half of um, military and even civilian intelligence these days is carried out by corporations. One of the best books I can recommend is by an author by the name of Tim Sharrock, who wrote Spies for Hire, which came out, I think, in 2006. Um, so it's a little dated, but the, but the facts about how the corporatization of intelligence uh, took hold are, are really relevant. So he, he does a really good job and he still writes for the nation. In any event, there's nothing, there's nothing off limits. Um, everything from transportation to remediating pollution that military and industry put out there to construction, to training, that's very corporatized. So it's basically, uh, it's a free-for-all now. And what industry has achieved is a military establishment that is so bloated and so enormous that it's now a self-justifying huge blob. And that's why it's one of the reasons why you see these days, you know, the, the war budgets and the military budgets just keep going up and up. They keep going up and up because it's so massive that it just it justifies its own uh, it justifies its own existence. And there's so many uh, stakeholders, not just big business, but uh, a lot of D.C. insiders and a lot of corrupt admirals and generals. Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question. Uh what place does the war industry hold in, in the U.S. economy? And um, also was wondering if you could maybe speak to the connections that it might have with Wall Street. Okay, so good question. War is one of our biggest exports. It's incredibly profitable. And the financial industry, as you alluded to, is at the top of the war industry. And it's at the top of the war industry in two ways. One way is any, not any, there are several major large financial firms, whether they're asset management firms, big banks, sometimes private equity firms that own the majority of stock in the big war corporations. So if you look at the big war corporations, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, L3 Harris. Those are the big six. If you look up their institutional investors, it's not, you know, Joe Schmo from, uh, I don't know, Ohio or Janet Schmo from California. It is these huge financial firms. And Wall Street, as you know, demands short-term profit maximization. So it's baked in. You have to, as a war corporation, maximize profits every quarter. You have to. And so that's a really nefarious arrangement because if you're in the business of war and you need to maximize profits, you're going to do everything you can to maximize profits, including um, you know, taking over large swaths of military activity and, as we'll get into, I'm sure, uh, you know, corrupting government 
and, uh, you know, doing anything you can, like any rapacious industry. And so the other way that the war industry, uh, that the financial industry is at the top of the war industry is by outright owning war corporations. Now, big, big um, uh, private equity firms are always buying and selling parts of war corporations and sometimes war corporations as a whole. And they'll blend them together, they'll trim some parts, they'll sell it, and then they'll make a lot of money. And so this happens all the time. We saw it um, in late, it was either late last year or early this year, where a, corporate, um, a private equity firm called uh, Lindsey Goldberg purchased part of a giant engineering project management firm, AECOM. It purchased AECOM's management services business, which basically did a lot of boss, base operations support service. It did a lot of uh, military contracting. So it purchased that from AECOM and then it um, blended it with some other uh, pieces of war corporations and it created a corporation called Amentum, A-M-E-N-T-U-M. And so now Amentum is a huge war corporation and Amentum turned around and purchased DynCorp, which is a huge, uh, war corporation and known for its mercenary activities around the world. So now Amentum is a top 20 war corporation and it's owned by a, you know, a private equity firm. So they either own, uh, financial firms either own the majority stock of a given large war corporation or they uh, outright own the war corporation and profit maximization is an absolute must. And so, you know, let the wars roll on. Uh, you say the war industry has um, a five-step strategy to to capture government. Um, I wonder if we could go into the, some of those five steps. Sure. Okay. So in broad strokes first, there's the push and the pull. The push is trying your damnedest to make sure that corporate executives are running the civilian offices in the Pentagon. So... <clears throat> You know, as, as recent as maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the uh, civilians running the various uh, secretary and undersecretary offices in the Pentagon were more often than not career civilian civil servants. So, you know, Office of Undersecretary um, of Defense, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, there are dozens of these offices. These days, they are more and more likely to be led by executives who come in from corporations, war corporations more often than not, spend some time in the Pentagon, and then turn around and go back to the war industry where they profit off of all the knowledge that they uh, learned on the inside. So that's the first thing, the push. The pull is when industry recruits uh, generals and admirals who just retired. They put their feelers out ahead of time. They know who's going to retire. They know what, uh, what military specialties they, uh, uh, they studied over their 30, 35 years while in uh, uniform, and they recruit them into war corporations. And so, uh, you know, a general or an admiral can be anything from, um, you know, a consultant to uh, on the board of directors, as we've seen a bunch, uh, can be a vice president of a, you know, a segment of a war corporation. Um, can be a lobbyist sometimes. So as a, the idea is to profit off the, the, the career knowledge of these officers and they're paid very well. So when you retire after 30, 35 years in, uni uh, in uniform as a general or an admiral, 
you're, um, you know, you're making a, a really substantial stipend, you know, that you get every year from the, uh, as part of your retirement. And then on top of that, if you go and work on the, you know, for the war industry, you're making even more money. So it's not like these guys need it. It's just, it's just institutionalized, uh, institutionalized corruption. So there's the push and the pull. The other, um, the other three are campaign finance, which we know about. It's, uh, it's rife in all industries, including the war industry. You're running for Congress. I'm a war corporation or a corporation in general, fossil fuel, whatever. I fund your campaign. You get into office. You take care of me. You pass laws that, you know, make sure that I, the corporation, am, am taken care of. It's, it's, the, it's incredible corruption, and we've legalized it. It's perfectly legal. It's, it's the perfectly legal uh, corruption. So there's that. Then there's lobbying. They lobby very creatively. They hire all the high-powered lobbying firms in D.C., so there's that you know, traditional lobbying is like uh, I take you, the uh, congressperson, out to, uh, let's say, a three martini lunch. I tell you what my concerns are. I even have my staff, um, you know, sometimes write the legislation that you end up passing. It's another form of really just uh, nefarious corruption. But they also the war industry has these things that I call pressure groups. They're sometimes trade associations, sometimes not. They're not legally lobbying organizations, but I classify them as lobbyists because they just they they're another way for the war industry to pressure government, pressure military, pressure Congress, Capitol Hill in general. So you have National Defense Industrial Association, AIA, AUSA. There are dozens of them. There are, there are many, and their role varies, but um, they often are the ones in charge of putting on arms fairs. So if you have uh, you know a symposia or a symposium or a forum or, you know, an all right, uh, outright arms fair, anytime where you get the three sides of the MIC together to schmooze and make deals, they're usually put on by these, uh, these pressure groups, which are ultimately staffed by and funded by the war industry. So you have that. You also have these pressure groups that uh, write letters to Congress explaining industry's position on any given issue. Some pressure groups arrange congressional testimony. So if you are on the you know, Armed Services Committee and you want to hear about something, the war industry will swoop in and make sure that they do their damnedest to make sure that the, the people who are testifying have a very pro-industry background. You know, you're not going to get the, you know, the mother of a 19-year-old uh, who was blown up in Iraq you know, fighting an optional war uh, that profited you know, Wall Street to the tune of billions. Um, you're not going to get, you know, the the concern of a worker at a uh, Lockheed Martin plant who knows that he's every day somehow contributing to, uh, you know, the harm of other nations. But, you know, the corporate America has so deindustrialized his state that it's the only decent paying job within, you know, 200 miles. You're not going to get that. You're going to get, the, you know, corporate executives or or people who uh, work for think tanks, which we'll, we'll get to momentarily, or anybody who comes from a real pro-industry uh, background. So that brings us to the last part, which is funding uh, think tanks and funding corporate media. Now, think tanks, their job is to put out information that helps the bottom line of whoever's donating to the think tank. And it's not exclusive to the war industry. You know, fossil fuel does it all the time. You know, uh, if I'm a fossil fuel corporation, I fund a think tank. The think tank puts out anything from climate change denial to um, you know, a whitewashing of what the corporate uh, executives are doing or some fluffy PR or this or that or how you know, vital 
you know, how we, we can wait 10 years before we transition our economy away from, you know, pollutants, anything like that. So the war industry does it too. I mean, they're, um, they, they have it down to a science and they fund a wide variety of think tanks uh, within the Beltway and they put out information that justifies broad military deployment. They hype up the enemies of the day. You know, this is the, this is the type of uh, environment in which we get uh, uh, Iranian malign influence, uh, Russian, um, uh, Russian takeover of cyberspace, um, Chinese aggression across the world. Uh, just, it's just like one thing after another, the Arabs terrorism. I mean, it's just anything that, uh, Afghan corruption, anything that justifies, uh, broad military, uh, deployments you're, you're going to get, you're not going to get any, any honest, um, appraisal of how harmful us foreign policy has been around the world. And then there's corporate media. Now, the best thing you're going to get on corporate media, NBC, Fox, CBS, CNN, whatever it is, is the ideology of the ruling class. That's the best thing you're going to get. You're going to get people who are full capitalists, who uh, you know do not dissent against the the hellscape in which we all live, in which the a few people profit, while the workers just keep getting screwed over every day and keep getting uh, you know kicked uh, kicked around. And so that's the best you're going to get. And so that's the environment in which the war industry, you know, shows up or where the war industry shows up and they uh, they'll fund sometimes news shows. They'll take out ads on news shows. So if you're watching a Sunday morning news show and it's, you know, meet the press or something, and then, uh, you know, a commercial for a war corporation comes on, it makes, it makes no sense on the face of it because nobody's buying a submarine who's watching the show. Nobody's buying an aircraft carrier who's watching the show. There's no reason to, uh, to, you know, take out those ads unless we understand that when when you are a corporate news show quote unquote news show which is more infotainment than anything else you don't go against the advertisers so it's it's basically another way to confine the debate you can never you know you can never discuss the the real banes of u.s foreign policy and the and the reasons we're always at war if um you know you're sponsored by the greatest war corporations that the the world has ever known and there's, there's a lot of layers to this. There was a, um, a law passed in, I think it was 2012. It could have been, it could have gone into effect in 2013. It was called the Smith Month, the Smith Month Modernization Act. And it basically tweaked the Smith Month law, which uh, prohibited US government uh, propaganda from showing up on uh, corporate media. And it tweaked it in a way that said, all right, now you can put U.S. government on corporate, uh, U.S. government propaganda on corporate media. And so it basically opened the floodgates. When you give government propaganda outlets uh, an inch, they'll take a mile. And so we've seen a, just a real step up of propaganda. And this is not, it's not, it doesn't allow for black propaganda, the kind that we will um, covertly use against another nation in their nation. It does allow, however, for stuff like um, white propaganda, that is to say, Radio Free Liberty, Radio Europe, that type of thing that uh, was once the domain of CIA, but is now the domain of, uh, you know, a subset of the US agency for what used to be called the Broadcasting Board of Governors. I think it's now called the US Agency for uh, Global Media or something. And then lastly, you see career militants 
like uh, CIA deputy directors or four-star generals uh, and the like who show up now across corporate media as national security uh, pundits. So that's another way to just even confine the debate even further, because these are the quote unquote experts that corporate media now turn to. And these people often have financial investments in war corporations, or they're currently working for war corporations and they don't mention it on TV. And so, yeah, so that's the five, those are the five ways that uh, corporations basically control the show. I got just one more question for you, Christian. Sure. What is the, the best way to organize against the war industry in 2021? I mean, that's, that's the big, that's the, that's the big question. Uh, I would start off by saying it's up to every, every locality, every neighborhood, every region, every state to decide that answer amongst themselves and, and get to work because um, uh, this, we, we've had what is, a, what is functionally fascism. And a lot of people throw fascism around these days very loosely, but there is a, there is a specific definition of fascism. It is when you have uh, corporate power blending with government authority and sprinkling or heaping spoonfuls of nationalism on top. That's fascism. And we've had that in this country very strongly since the National Security Act of 1947. So tackling the war industry and tackling the military industrial congressional complex more broadly is something that we have had to do since 1947. This is a, it is a structure that benefits professionally and financially from endless war. And so we have to get to the meat of it. You can advocate for passing local ordinances, getting up to state ordinances, and then tackling it at the federal government. There's an argument that can be made under the reform category to uh, try to get more people who are, whether libertarian anti-war or progressive anti-war, elected to Congress. And there's an argument that you know, can be made for that. But then there's the, the, the other R word, which is revolution. And it's looking increasingly likely that that's eventually going to have to happen in this country. Uh, I'm not taking a stance one way or the other, but I will say that when you deny, when you beat the working class up so thoroughly as, this country, as the ruling class in this country has done, and when you, you know, export and automate jobs, and when you, re you shove as many people as possible into the gig economy, and when you deny the workers their basic dignity as, this, as the ruling class has done, and when you profit off of war and you send the, you know, the working class off to fight and die against the working class of another country, you are creating the very conditions that will engender a revolution eventually. I mean, you can only beat up the working class so much. And so, you know, there was, um, there was a time back in the day, I think it was Nixon who during one uh, anti-war protest, they had surrounded the White House. And he, we can tell now because his tapes are a matter of public record because he taped everything, they, um, he was terrified. I mean, he was really terrified. And that's sort of where, that's, that's a far more healthy form of interaction between the public and government than what we have today, where the, where the government is just running absolutely amok, uh, violating civil liberties left and right, spying on us unconstitutionally, uh, you know, fomenting coups and... Uh, you know, broadening the surveillance state and really beating up the working class and uh, succeeding in establishing a, a fascist state, which is the permanent warfare state, which is the military industrial congressional complex. So long story short, 
you know, we got to get to it. And I won't advocate one way or the other, but I'll say that um, we have to educate one another and make sure that war criminals ultimately are held responsible, whether they're the war profiteers at the big war corporations who are profiting off of death and destruction or the, you know, politicians on Capitol Hill um, who fund the whole thing and spout platitudes about patriotism or the uh, generals and admirals who order war crimes to be committed in the name of the, uh, name of the United States of America. So there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for joining us. The book is Understanding the War Industry. Go out and pick it up. Thanks a lot, man. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Cheers. It's been my pleasure. Zach Boschman here, co-owner of CitizenTruth.org. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Citizen Truth podcast. The intro and outro song is Enthusiast by Tours and is provided via the Creative Commons license. Please subscribe and check us out at CitizenTruth.org.